0: Your website's great. It has, like, all my clips. It has my blog. It has pictures of Beyonce the cat. It's a happy place.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on Repin. I'm Evelyn, your host. I wanted to first thank you, the listeners, because of you, your listenership, and your support. Repin recently topped the charts on Good Pods. We hit number one on two different charts, which is crazy. We were number one in the Top 100 Indie Film Interviews chart. We also hit number one in the Top 100 Film Interviews chart. And we hit number five in the Top 100 Indie Personal Journals chart. We are absolutely blown away. Thank you for making that happen. And please know, we don't take any of it for granted. Now on to the show. I am super excited to have my next guest. She's an incredible comedian, actress, and disability advocate. She's of Palestinian descent, and she's known as one of America's first Muslim women comedians. On screen, she's guested on As the World Turns, Law & Order. You've also seen her on General Hospital, NBC Nightly News, and ABC's 2020. She's also got one of the most viewed TED Talks ever. She's a brilliant comic, using her sharp wit, intellect and heart and uses comedy to shatter stereotypes about culture and her having cerebral palsy. I am thrilled to have the talented, hilarious and unstoppable Maysoon Zayed. Maysoon, thank you so much for being here. How you been doing?
0: I'm actually doing great. Like, A year ago, I was in shock because I'm a touring stand-up comic that had all of my live shows canceled in the blink of an eye for the foreseeable future. But now I've gone into, you know, what we're doing right now, which is communicating with everyone virtually. And honestly, like when I got back on the road, I missed my basement. I was like, I don't want to get patted down in TSA when I could just be petting my cat in my basement instead. So I'm doing great. The, I'm having the time of my life. I'm fully vaccinated. I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back on set very soon. And
2: absolutely. Well, I mean, you look wonderful, and I really appreciate you carving some time out of your busy schedule. I know you
0: are a nonstop woman. Nobody could believe I said yes to you because I always say no to podcasts because I literally have like seven jobs. I'm writing a comic book, I'm on General Hospital, I'm hosting a docu-series, I'm making a Muslim Christmas movie, I'm teaching at Princeton and I'm a stand-up comic. But as I said to you at the beginning of this, Nancy Lee Grant reached out to me and said, do this chick's podcast. And I was like, "Eh, okay, because I'll never say no to Nancy because Alexis is a Casadine and you don't mess with them.
2: Well, I appreciate you so much and I appreciate Nancy. So shout out to Nancy Lee Grant. I love that we're both East Coast women. You're from New Jersey. Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing and your family? Because I mean, I didn't grow up in the city but I grew up in the boroughs of the city, but that doesn't mean it was very diverse. (laughs) So for me growing up, I knew I was the odd duck, but for you, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up and also your heritage?
0: So I'm born one mile out of Manhattan in a completely Italian Catholic town, only six Arabs, all my family. I'm the only house that Santa skipped every single year. I'm not sure if my friends weren't racist or if Palestinians look Italian enough that they didn't actually realize the difference. (laughs) Um, But I was never bullied or made fun of. I was very mainstream. It wasn't until I went to college at Arizona State University that I was like, oh, a large percentage of my fellow Americans don't like brown people. And I'm clearly one of those brown people. That's when I really realized that I was like, the square on Sesame Street, that's like, which one of these is not like the other. But growing up, I, I didn't realize that everybody's parents had accents. Right. You know, they were all loud. They were all hairy. I just didn't <laughs> notice. And then we're so close to say, like, Clipside Park, New Jersey, you can physically walk to New York City. Right if you're Jesus and you can walk across the Hudson. No, on the George Washington Bridge, you can walk on the George Washington Bridge. And so I was surrounded by diversity growing up and also Broadway and also CBS and ABC and NBC studios. And like New York is like the second best place after Hollywood.
2: Well, I mean, we'll argue about that later. I debate. I mean, for
0: for entertainment, obviously for me, I, I, I could easily be living in LA and I live in Jersey because it's the greatest state in the nation. And I love New York, but um, work-wise, there's just still more in Hollywood. Right. No matter what happens in New Mexico, Vancouver, Atlanta, it's still Hollywood. No, I agree with you in that regard. So it's great
2: that you had a lot of diversity. Tell us a little bit more about you because you have one of the biggest TED Talks of all time. I think it's been viewed like, what is it, like a billion?
0: It's, yeah, it's it's out of control. So I had the most watched TED Talk of 2014. So I'm a multiple minority, and I'm a stand-up comic who can't stand up, and one of the jokes I do on stage is I say, in the oppression Olympics, I'd win a gold medal because I'm Palestinian. I'm Muslim. I'm a woman of color. I'm divorced. I'm disabled. I live in Jersey. So like, if you don't feel bad about yourself, maybe you should. Um, Yeah. So I'm a multiple minority. And like, I was raised by two very interesting parents. So when I did the TED Talk,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I prior to doing the TED Talk, I didn't know that there were disabled kids who were like, Murdered by their parents that, you know, disabled women were three times more likely to be abused in their lives. I didn't know that it took a wheelchair user in America 15 months to get a replacement wheelchair if they're on government Medicaid. And I learned all those things after the TED talk because it was translated into 47 different languages and disabled people started reaching out to me. Now, I grew up with two parents who were, like, spectacular. My dad was a teddy bear and my mom was a tyrant. And, uh, you know, again, immigrant parents, especially, like, brown immigrant parents, they don't let you get a C, you get an A. So it was like, I always say, like, my dad was my biggest cheerleader. He took me to dancing school. He taught me how to walk. He bought me, like, my first Sony Walkman. And my mother was like, failure is not an option. You are equal to your non-disabled <laughs> peers. And okay. and it was actually really good for me to grow up being like, I am equal or better than my non-disabled peers. Right. Instead of being like, well, I tried and I couldn't, you know? So I really think that she built me to be able to be competitive in Hollywood because like no one could ever be more critical than my mom.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? I, I hear you with that because my parents were immigrants too except my parents were reverse from what you had. Your dad was the one. My dad was the one. My mom was supportive and nurturing, but she did want me to do well. Definitely the whole, like, you can't come back with C's, except I came back with D's. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) It's a whole nother conversation. That's a whole nother conversation. I'm the black sheep of my family because... One of my sisters is an ambassador representing Palestine at the United Nations. Wow. Another is a doctor in pharmacy. Another has an MBA in business. I'm like, I'm a comic with a bachelor's degree from a state school.
2: <laughs> but when <wait laughs> I got a all A's. <laughs> Your TED Talk got viewed billions of times. And I'm teaching at Princeton in the fall. <laughs> you know, you're going to Ivy League schools. It's just a slightly yeah, different role. Exactly. So, when you were growing up and you said you were like all these quote unquote my different minorities groups, you fall into these groups. What was a moment in your life that impacted you early on that really shaped who you are? Because you are unstoppable.
0: I'm- Ready for that. Okay. <laughs> so I have two different ones. The first one was my parents couldn't afford physical therapy, so they sent me a dancing school. Couldn't afford occupational therapy, sent me a piano class. These things were like 5 $7 back in the day, right? And so I grew up next to Broadway, and I wanted to be on General Hospital. I wanted to be on Broadway. So when I was 12 years old, our dancing school took a class trip And we met all these Broadway divas at the Waldorf Astoria and they went around the room and they asked each one of us what our dream was. And all the other girls were like, I want to be a unicorn. And they're like, you go girl. And they got up to me and I said, I want to tap dance and bring in the noise, bring in the funk, which was on Broadway at the time. And the diva looked at me and said, you're a cripple, find another dream. And, I did, which was to be on general hospital, but I kept the Broadway dream, which twenty years later I did have dance on Broadway. Wow. And that moment was really critical for me because I was born and raised in a small town. I danced in a small town dancing school. Literally nobody ever treated me differently. They should have, but they didn't. Like I did so much stuff with my friends that was like hella dangerous and they should have been like, No, girl, you're palsy, don't do this. And they were like, Come on, you can do it because you can can, you know. Yeah. So I didn't really know until that moment that the fact I was disabled was going to be like a problem for anyone. And the second thing is I spend every summer when my friends would go to the Jersey Shore, my parents would send us to live in a war. So we went back to Jerusalem every summer. So I literally grew up in a war zone, seeing building bomb, getting shot at at checkpoints, getting strip searched at airports and really understanding like what it meant to be a second class citizen in the world. Right. And then Donald Trump got elected and I found out what it was like to be, you know, taunted by the most powerful man in the world and told that people like me should be sent back to their countries, which is apparently Jersey.
2: <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I, I got that, too. I got that, too. You know, being Asian-American and Kung flu. Oh, yeah. Which is unfortunately been so pervasive exactly. and has incited a lot of issues.
0: You got the Kung Flu and I got him, you know, chanting at uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Thib, send her back, send her back. Right.
1: Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever.
2: erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Wine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
0: What, what was worse, China flu or Kung flu? Um... God, isn't that just a toss-up? The whole thing is just awful. I know. I feel like China is more encompassingly violent because it's just like all of them. Yeah, all of us. Kung Fu is like super, super offensive, but people might be like, oh, it's like Jackie Chan. Well, we got that too. It's I- disgusting.
2: But Maysoon, let's talk a little bit about like, no, when you got that jerk who said what uh, they said to you and you started to notice, quote unquote, your disability, which... You are on, on fire. The only thing you're not doing, I think, right now is like running for government.
0: Right. But I was student council president. Yes. I was student council president of my senior class. I am a counselor at a leadership training camp. I was the delegate for Obama from the ninth district in 2008. I was Hillary Clinton's ignored Muslim surrogate in 2016. And then I helped shape disability policy and was a disability surrogate for Joe Biden. So I haven't run because I'm too much of a mean girl to win, except if I ran as a Republican and I'm not Satan. (laughs) So (laughs) I would never run as the GOP. Have you followed my Twitter? I do. I do. i mean, dude. i mean. You're direct. direct. (laughs) I'm direct. I'm honest. That's
2: exactly what it is. I'm honest. You don't pull any punches. I got bullied when I was in school. Right. Uh, For being Asian, because I was growing up in a predominantly Italian neighborhood. Ooh. So how did you sort of navigate and process, you know, what people said to you? Because fitting in, regardless of what age you're at, is important, but certainly as a child, a younger child.
0: I just wasn't bullied or made fun of as a child. And like, when I talk to disabled people, they tell me that like dating is really, really hard. And they did a poll and it was like 80% of people didn't want to date a disabled person and the other 20% were disabled. But like, I also didn't have trouble dating. I think that's because my CP makes me shake all the time which is kind of positive in that situation. But (laughs) I didn't get bullied until I started appearing on TV. And then in 2010, 10 years into my stand up comedy career, I appeared on my first television show, which was called Countdown with Keith Overman on MSNBC. I was a regular full time contributor. And that was literally the first time in my entire life that I ever got bullied. I went on TV and people were like, her lips are so annoying. i want to rip them off. She looks like she's an honor killing gone wrong. And that was the first time I was ever bullied. And I remember the second time they invited me to be on the show, I had to really think about like, am I going to go on again? I don't want to go on again. In a comedy club, I'm the only person with a microphone. Someone heckles me, I shut them down. It's usually not personal. It's usually like a drunk I'm being like, I wanna blow you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not usually like right. she, a personal. Like she's attack. so disgusting. I can't watch her right. because her lips or whatever. And I was like, do I want to go back on? And then I was like, Yeah, hell yeah. Like, I'm not gonna let some stranger that I never met tear down 20 years of work. Like, I right. think the way that I deal with bullying is threefold. One, does that person have any power over me? Are you my boss? Are you controlling my income? Are you my spouse? Are you being abusive? If this person has no control over your life, if this person has no reason to be in your life, you must learn how to ignore bullying. You cannot let other people define you. Only you get to define you. So like people can come up to me and say, I'm fat. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm big boned. Like I'm a big Arab woman. This is what we look like, you know? (laughs) And I understand that if you have certain mental health issues, you can't just brush it off. I understand that I'm blessed and lucky Mm -hmm. to have the power to brush it off. But really, I just want you to know that You can always find a community. You can always build a community. So many disabled people prior to the internet were so isolated. Right Now we have like full communities online. And unfortunately it's like Star Wars. You can find the light and you can find the dark. You allow people to bully you if you choose to be in that situation. And again, a reminder, I understand there are situations you can't get out of. You're being bullied by a teacher or a coworker. But when it is your choice, remove yourself. Remove yourself. Don't try to prove them wrong. Don't try to get them back. Remove yourself from toxic situations. Right. Even if that is your family. If your family bullies you, denigrates you, tears you down, don't feel like you have to stay around those people because they're your blood. If you can survive without them, get out of there. It's not good for you to constantly be bullied and torn down and abused. No one should have to tolerate that.
2: Where did this strength and and sense of self and resolve of who you are come from? Your spirit, because you're so badass, man.
0: I come from a really like exquisite, powerful line of women. Like my grandmother was just such a great influence and a warrior. And my other grandmother was like a very, very kind soul. And I think like my charitable, empathetic, like listening part comes from her. I think it's from my ancestors. I really can't. Explain it because I don't have extreme privilege. It's not like I was given everything and everything worked out well. You know, right. I'm 20 years into my career. I sell out tours. I've never been given a spot on a late night comedy show to do stand up comedy. Are you serious? I've gotten millions and millions of hits online and they won't give me two and a half minutes because they don't consider me a comic. They consider me inspirational. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying, like, it's not that. I did it and I succeeded. I think it's just, I come from a long line of women who defied all odds and I choose to do the same. And also I believe in lifting people up with me. I don't believe in limited power. So I'm always trying to make the space bigger. Like when yeah. I got a chance to host the docu-series, I was like, What if I had a panel with three other disabled women and suddenly we have four disabled women on screen instead of one when we're 20 percent of the population and only two percent of the images you see on TV. Ninety five percent are played by non-disabled people. So like given the chance, I wasn't like, no, it's just going to be me. I was like, how many people can I bring with me? It'll be fun. Right. Right. Absolutely. First
2: of all, what a great lineage that you come from and that you laid that out and you understand that legacy, that's amazing. When you realize that people do tear people down, you are faced with the optics that the world places upon you or everyone. So I think what I've discovered through just my own life and talking with people like you through this podcast is it's one thing to get to know yourself and to have a sense of self, and that takes time. But on top of that, it's not enough. You have to navigate somehow the labels and the
0: optics that the world imposes upon you. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is, right? It's exhausting. It sucks. I was just at a meeting the other day and I did five minutes of pure stand-up comedy. Everybody in the meeting was cackling. Yeah. And I was done. And one of the women in the meeting was like, I don't know. I just can't see disability being funny. And I was like you were just laughing. She's like, "I know. But it was awkward. It was awkward." And I was like, "Well, what the fuck am I supposed to do if you can't? You right. you can't even accept that you laughed." Right. Like you're physically laughing and you can't accept it. So, it's absolutely exhausting. I educate so that those who come after me don't have to. They always say the first person who walks through the room is the one that gets shot. So like I'm going in and just taking all the bullets so that the people who come after me don't have to. And it's really difficult being a multiple minority because if you are disabled and you get a shot, you are a cisgendered white man. (laughs) You're not a brown girl.
2: I I agree with you. It's absolutely exhausting to be the constant ambassador And you're right. We are shot for it. So what does that teach you about the world and how do you not get discouraged?
0: It taught me to have a monster team. I built a team. I built a team around me. I understand that it's very hard for other people to build a team. (laughs) So let me just be very clear about this. So when I started my career, I was like, I'm very lucky for anyone to give me a chance. And then I was like, No, I'm actually not very lucky. I'm super talented and I need people around me who know I am to fight the fights for me so that I can always come out smelling like a rose, you know? So I make sure that on every deal I'm on, I'm an executive producer. I have final say on the words that come out of my mouth. And that helps me avoid people putting me in awkward situations where they're writing Islam in like a very stereotypical negative way, or they're writing disability as like inspirational and you can't love me because I'm disabled. I have said no in order to be able to have the power to create the material I want to.
2: That's awesome. That's so awesome. How long did it take you
0: to build that, though? It took me 20 years. So I was really lucky that I was a very, very strong stand-up comic. And I was able to generate income through my stand-up comedy. And through that income, I started building my brand, you know, my comic book for Scholastic, my movies, my memoir on Audible, Find Another Dream. And it cannot be done without money. So everyone says to you, if no one casts you create your own stuff, they don't tell you how expensive it is. I wish I could come in here and be like, just do it yourself. It's totally fine. In order to get where I got, I had to invest so much money in myself. When I got General Hospital, I had to fly from Jersey to LA to be on the show. Right. It was worth it to me because that was a lifelong dream that I wanted to achieve. And it's awesome that you did. But I know that you're
2: super busy and you were kind enough to make time for us today. So thank you. So I'm going to ask you to sign us off. Let me know who you are and what you represent. Oh, this is Mason Zayed and I represent Jersey. Thank you. Thank you to Mason Zayed for finding time to step in and guest. You guys have to check out all of the awesome projects she's working on. And you can do that by going to her website, maysoon.com, and follow her on social media. As always, I'm going to have those links in the episode description. Coming up next on Reppin', it's going to be our first episode of season five. And we have Broadway's powerhouse, Karen Olivo from In the Heights, Hamilton,
1: and Moulin Rouge. Money did not mean good. (laughs) That it was about someone's character and how they showed up. Hi, I'm Karen Olivo, and I'm coming to reppin'.
2: She is insanely talented on stage, but wait till you hear what she's doing off stage to make a difference. If you like this episode, be sure to download it, share it, subscribe, and leave a review. You can leave it on Apple Podcasts, PodChaser, Good Pods, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. And I love hearing from you, so you can always reach me on social media. My Twitter is reppin podcast. And my Instagram is Reppin underscore podcast. I'd love to thank my crew, Nelson Pinero, for adding his magic and always love to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, do you know what to do? Yep, that's right. Stand up and represent.